Welcome everyone to Business Growth on Purpose. My name is Jose Palomino. I'm CEO of Value Prop Interactive. And it is my great pleasure every week to be interviewing experts from around the world, owners of other B2B businesses, and sometimes just sharing some of my personal insights from decades of helping businesses grow on purpose. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody. This is Jose Palomino, founder and CEO of Value Prop, and your host on Business Growth on Purpose. And today's guest is a co-founder of a really fascinating company that is very relevant to folks in manufacturing, especially if you're in the mid, small to mid-market in manufacturing. It's a company called Machine Metrics, and the co-founder is Eric Fogg. And we're going to talk a bit about what's changed in the manufacturing space in the last couple of years some specifics about how machine metrics really can optimize, make more efficient, and give insights to to owner-operators of manufacturing concerns. And then we're going to delve into a very related topic that I think is on everybody's mind. It's certainly on every magazine, journal, newspaper, and so on, which is what's happening with AI and what are the implications of AI in manufacturing in the next few years. So, Get ready for a really interesting conversation as Eric Fogg joins us right now. Welcome, Eric, to Business Growth on Purpose. Thanks for having me, Jose. Well, Eric, for our audience, uh, if you could tell us a little bit about what you do and who you do it for. Yeah, my name is uh, Eric Fogg. I'm the co-founder of uh, Machine Metrics. Machine Metrics is a cloud-based machine and manufacturing data platform. So we pull data from all sorts of manufacturing equipment, from milling and turning metalworking equipment to stamping equipment, welding, uh, plastics injection molding equipment, uh, you name it. And we pull all that data uh, up into our cloud service where we do analytics. Um, Some of those analytics are basic things like, has the machine been running as much as you expect it to? Uh, How many parts has it made versus how many you expect? Uh, all the way to more advanced analytics, like looking at, uh, you know, vibration, uh, flow rate, sensor values, um, and using that information to try and get deeper insights into the manufacturing process and understand uh, where are areas for improvement. Wow. So, I mean, that's that sounds exciting. And, you know, we we had a conversation on the show, I guess, about a year ago, and I was very impressed with what you were doing back then. And in the ensuing year, and I'm going to come back to the specifics of what your technology is, but I think that's a, especially it's of it's of the day right now, right? But I, I just want to transition a little bit from the time we spoke till now. We're now, I think, I think fairly described now as a post-COVID era, right? Most of the adjustments people made for COVID, by and large, have been moderated, adjusted. There's a new normal that's set in. So you, as a business owner, building this this you know uh, cloud-based uh, offering for a lot of other industrial companies and so on what have you seen that new the new post-covid era look like just generally as a business person I'm just kind of curious your take on it since you're dealing with a lot of people in 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 industrial categories what do you see yeah. has changed <laughs> yeah I mean we were lucky uh, for our business internally uh, being a software company being cloud-based, um, we don't really need to all be on site. 
so we were able to kind of elegantly transfer into being a, a mostly remote company. Um, and I think like a lot of people were, were kind of just starting to get back together a lot more often, um, you know, just uh, several years later, quite time has flown. Um, but I would say amongst our customers, they weren't that lucky, right? They, they didn't have the luxury of letting people work from home. Because uh, if you have machines uh, that need to be run or parts that needed to be welded together, uh, things that need to be assembled, you can't do that over Zoom. Um, you know, you can't do that remotely. So they had to adapt quick and figure out ways um, to try and make their their shops, their facilities, safe places for their employees um, to come in. Um, and as we know, looking back too, there are a lot of grasping at straws, right? It's just kind of like, well, we don't know what to do, so let's do all of it. Just try and get people safe. Where um, now, I think we kind of understand uh, a lot better uh, what it is um, to to make people safe. So I think you know that the effect of um, of Zoom and remote work and those sorts of things have not affected the manufacturing industry uh, quite so much. Um, certainly, some people that would work in the offices or you know, accounting, design, those sorts of things are, you know, they're starting to do split schedules or, or have been, you know, in the office a day or two, remote a day or two. Um, but in a few cases, it's certainly given people access to more talent, right? If you have, if you live in, or your shop is, you know, kind of in the middle of a very rural area and you struggle to find somebody uh, to do your books for you, um, well, now you can find somebody that's, you know, on the other side of the country to do your books for you. Um, so I think there's been an improvement there. I think, you know, kind of the, the post-COVID effect that we've seen the most in manufacturing that everyone else has seen are kind of the uh, the results of the great resignation um, and and the, the mobility of, of people moving around uh, kind of um, post-COVID, changing jobs, um, you know, looking for different lifestyles, things like that. Um, so there's just a lot of movement. Um, inside the manufacturing industry, you know, all the way down to, to machine operators and, um, you know, some of the, uh, the more basic um, roles that you would hire at a shop, um, all the way up through engineering. And I think like everybody, that's, uh, that's presented an opportunity and um, at a risk, you know, it always uh, sucks to lose people. Um, with manufacturing, there's an especial, or there's a special emphasis on um, just kind of the, the learned skills that someone gets about your process, uh, because so many manufacturers are are different and unique. Um, you know, they're they're the only place in the world that does things just the way they do, and yeah. it's it's hard to lose people that know how to do that. Um, but so, so that 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 kind of raises a question as it relates yeah. to you and your firm and machine metrics and what you do, which is you know, given that this, these changes, and I appreciate so much the, the the your observations i think they're i think very relevant and very consistent with what i hear from other sources as well but when it comes to as you said in manufacturing that machine has to turn weld induction hard and it has to do what it's doing right it's grinding yeah. whatever and it does take a certain skill but the, the great resignation has happened and it's it's reached into like blue collar positions where people cannot find uh, part of the supply chain issue wasn't the raw materials was just being able to make the stuff so how does your, or does your technology, your cloud-based offering, the fact that you can monitor these processes, does that offer opportunities for a manufacturer to maybe more intelligently compensate for the fact that they lost 
two welders or they lost two operators on this machine. I mean, I'm just curious with all that data, does that help you kind of reconfigure things because of the fact that you can't find anybody to replace Larry. Larry's not here anymore. He's gone. Yeah. So how does that play? How does machine metrics play into that? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we, we could dive into an answer just in that one question in a lot more than 20 minutes. Um, but if you understand what's actually going on, um, you know, at a very intimate level, down to the minute, down to the machine, um, most manufacturers, there's just too much happening on the floor to get that intimate of an understanding without pulling the data directly from the machines and using software to help you uh, manage it and make sense of it. So, you know, I think we've found that that machine metrics, as as companies are, are pulling the data from equipment, um, they make the decisions to invest in automation um, a lot more. And you can be smart about those investments, right? If you know this machine has been sitting here for X period of time, uh, it costs me X amount per hour. Um, if I put automation, whether it be, you know, a custom designed piece of automation or a robot or something like that on this machine, it'll cost me half a million dollars, and you can do an exact ROI calculation. And I think that's the kind of the simplest thing that we give customers that help them with this, is that before it's like, eh, how often is Larry around? Or, you know, can we get a new Larry? And how long does it take to train him? We don't really know. The day-to-day is so intense that you never really get down to discrete numbers on that problem and the hundreds of others like it on your shop floor. But once you have the discrete numbers on all those problems, you can just do calculations and you can make decisions that you're confident in. And you can say, all right, the ROI on that automation is two years. We love it. Pull the trigger, buy the robot. Or, you know, the ROI is seven years. That's a bit long for us. Let's let's keep working to find another Larry um, and, and train them up. Um, so I would say that's that's one of myriad ways that uh, that improved data can help. And it can e- and it can even tell you that boy, we weren't paying. The reason Larry left was we really weren't paying him enough, and now we know we could afford to pay him more. Whether you get Larry back or another Larry, maybe you get into the market a little bit more smartly because you know what it's worth to you as a business. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or you can, there are other ways to look at it too, where you can say, you know, it's, it's just hard to find that type of labor in our market. Um, whether that market be their local market or a skill set or something like that. Um, you know, there's, there's a lack of millions of manufacturing jobs across this country. Um, so yeah, pay, <laughs> paying more helps. Um, but there's still just a huge, um, you know, uh, shortage of workers. Uh, so sometimes it's like, well, but we, you know, we could find a, uh, you know, a tech school graduate that maybe understands the robotics. We can hire that person for twice what we would have paid an operator, but that person can maintain and run robotics and automation on five workstations. Um, so that's a, you know, that's an overall um, plus. And these are, you know, these are analyses that people have been doing around automation forever, um, you know, since it's been around. Uh, but now to be able to really put a number on it and, and uh, make a, a confident decision uh, is makes a really big difference. Um, and I think machine metrics sells a lot of robots. We know it does. Wow. Well, you know, so Eric, let me just hit on this, on that point a little bit. Um, and I recall this from our last interviews, but I want you to just expand on it a little bit. So 
the audience we tend to focus on uh, both in this show and what I do with my my practice as value prop tend to be owner led businesses, right? So these are smaller mid-market manufacturers, contract manufacturers. Some are OEMs that actually make something for branded sale, but these aren't Toyota, right? So when you think yeah. Toyota, to, you know, somebody listening might say, well, Toyota has all these metrics and it's probably all like master plan designed and, you know, the, the latest robots and so on. But if you're a $20 million a year contract manufacturer, you don't, you know, you don't have that ability. So does your technology require that a facility have the latest and greatest machines to be able to get this data, because then that would be a limiter to who can actually take advantage of your technology. I mean, I think that's one of our competitive advantages. We work uh, equally well with customers of all sizes. Um, you know, our smallest customers have a couple machines, um, you know, literally in, the, in a garage on their property next to their home. Um, and our largest customers have dozens of plants uh, all over the world. Um, and the, the technology scales evenly to everybody. Um, and also, it doesn't really matter the age of your machine. Um, the newer machines, the more sophisticated machines certainly give us more data easier. We can still get a lot of that data from older machines. You just have to add additional sensors and there's, you know, there's more work, there's more sweat equity that needs to go into to getting all the data you need from the older equipment. Um, but what we found for a lot of people is those really basic metrics. How often is the machine running versus how often I expect it to? A lot of companies choke on that one metric for years, right? It's a big problem. Even just understanding the type of work that I do, what is an ideal utilization for me, right? Mm. It's like we, we have customers where if their machines are running 10% of the time, they're very happy with that because the work they do is just that complicated um, and requires that much human touch. Um, and we have customers that it's like, you know, 99 point to, you know, it's like they, they calculate a couple points after the decimal point, right. what they expect their utilization to be because they're making the same part all the time, every day. You know, they, they built the cell, they bought it, just manufacture as many of those as possible. Um, but there's a whole spectrum in between. And, um, you know, I would challenge your listeners, whether they're manufacturers or, uh, or in any business, it's just kind of like, what is your unique metric? Because it's, it's hard in this world we're, we're all doing something special for the most part, uh, especially in, you know, a more advanced market. Uh, what is the goal that you're aiming for? Because it's probably not the same as the goal for, you know, a similar business that's, uh, that's somewhere else. Um, everyone's unique and, and just finding that benchmark is a, uh, is a lot of work. Wow. Well, you know, one of the things, Eric, that when you talk about a company named Machine Metrics and tracking, manufacturing, all these things, uh, and since we last spoke, you know, what's blown up in the world in a big way are things like ChatGBT, the whole AI revolution. And, you know, it feels now when you read about it, like, oh, yeah, this has been around forever. Actually, no, it hasn't been in the mainstream. You know, obviously, it's been developed for a long time. And AI is not a brand new idea, but this ready for prime time. I put that in quotes, ready for prime time AI is, is a 2022-23 thing. Uh, at least in my memory, I don't remember reading that oh, much. Yeah. Like it was ready to go in 20, in the middle of COVID, nobody was talking about it, right? So, yeah. so how does that affect manufacturing broadly and your firm specifically? 
Uh, it's huge. I'm sure you're hearing this from from everybody, but it's it's hard to even wrap our minds around it. It's so huge. Um, and uh, you know, yeah, it's it's happening really quick. I've, I've been quite obsessed with it. I listen to a lot of uh, AI podcasts, and you know, six months ago they were half hour shows, and now a lot of them are going for for three or four hours because there's just that much to talk about every week. Um, we are at an inflection point where this is happening. And is it ready? No. Is it going to happen? Absolutely. Uh, there's there's nothing that's going to stop this. I think at this point. Um, but you know, for and our it, company, and is it going to be Skynet? That's a that's. A <laughs> <laughs> I'm not qualified to answer that, but you know, I would say uh, for our company internally, we've effectively grown our engineering and development team by already maybe ten or twenty percent uh, by rearranging the way our development squads are built. Um, to basically include chat GPT and similar tools um, as a team member on that squad. Um, and certainly in software development, um, you know, it, it replaces or expands uh, the same as adding, um, you know, a couple developers, uh, one or two, you know, junior developers to each team. So just in that, um, it's helped improve uh, our efficiency as a company and develop product faster for our customers. Um, also, you know, the thing that's interesting is we, we started out as a as a data uh, analytics and dashboarding company, right? It's like people uh, five years ago bought our product for its dashboards. Okay. Um, with AI, in a, just a few years, no one's going to be looking at dashboards and reports anymore, right? Why would you? But you can just ask in human language at AI to tell me what job is performing the best? What jobs should I be working on? Um, you know, where are my problem areas? Uh, those sorts of things. Um, so, you know, I think on one hand, it's a bummer. We've developed all these beautiful dashboards. People still love them and use them. Um, but on the other hand, we have all this data. And a great thing about being a, a cloud um, company is that we have all the data from all the machines since the day we were founded. Um, we have terabytes upon terabytes of machine data. And when we start it's anonymized machine data, so it's not connected to any you know particular company or user. Um, but we can start unleashing these models, these AI models, on all of our data, and the insights we're finding are mind-boggling and insanely valuable. Um, and you know, some some things will certainly you know be announcing, and, and people will hear about soon. But you know, I think for the the listeners of this podcast, it's. Uh, it's really crazy to think about if you have any large amount of data warehouse, what's the value of that data when you can unleash, um, you know, a, a, an AI model that's just so good at crunching through data and then answering questions to any layman where you can just say, look, look through these you know, terabytes of data um, and tell me interesting things. You know, what is the... Um, longest lived tool on a maps or a milling machine across all of the uh, companies that we have. And it can answer that question. The, the amount of, uh, of development and software work we would have to do to answer that question is not huge, but it's not trivial either. Um, right. And that's so, just a long question. And, and I guess where, where really the next beyond that is maybe instead of asking a question, you'd ask, you, you'd say, what questions should I be asking? You know, and maybe it doesn't have that ability to interpret that just yet, but I guess it will. It follows that that would be the next the next horizon where it actually 
can apply some some wisdom to what you should be looking at. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we found, and this is probably the case with any industry, but all these systems that businesses buy, uh, whether it's machine metrics, uh, an ERP system, accounting systems, uh, MEF systems, which are like, you know, a floor, um, you know, job management, project management uh, for manufacturers, companies spend millions upon millions of dollars on all these systems. And at the end of the day, if you really just kind of zoom out and look at it, what are the, the questions that people are looking to answer by investing in all of this stuff and spend hiring people and spending all this time to input all these data into these systems? They just want to know, am I making money, right? Uh, and in what places am I making the most money? And in what places am I losing the most money? And, uh, you know, I think the future is instead of investing in all of these systems, uh, to try and analyze that data in a bunch of different ways uh, and then hire people to try and pour over that data and find the insights, you just ask the system, right? Um, and it'll just tell you. Um, hopefully it's right. <laughs> That's, um, you know, uh, there's probably going to be a, a percentage of time that it's not. But I actually see, you know, the future, um, like ERP systems, for example, will be unrecognizable. Uh, in just a few years, um, which is pretty crazy because ERP has been the same since, you know, sure. since what, the, the well, 60s, because, 70s? Yeah, and, and ERP basically was in, an evolution from essentially a ledger-based system, which is designed with the limitations of people and paper. And they just automated that, right? CRM, yeah. in many ways, is, the, is a Rolodex in a journal, I mean, basically. So... You know, but when you get to the point where you start looking at the, if we collect all this data, what are the insights that we could derive from it? That's where things get very interesting. A little bit scary. Maybe it's a generational thing, but I'm thinking I do see a little bit of Skynet in it. I do see a lot of unemployment in it eventually um, from what we now know as employment. So that's a concern I have from a meta, you know, just good for society kind of thing. But it's also the genies out of the bottle. Yeah. So we, we have to make peace with that and find ways to leverage it for the greater good than, than try to put it back in the bottle because there's, there's no way to do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally, um, you know, you could question my qualifications to say this as a, as a machine data guy, but I think we're at a, a dot-com kind of moment. I think it's, it's probably a lot bigger than that. Um, I think a lot of jobs and entire industries are going to be destroyed. The question is, uh, are jobs and industries created uh, going to outnumber um, those that are destroyed? Um, my my feeling is vastly so. Um, but we run into that same issue that we always have, which is that um, you know the the jobs and and opportunities that's created are on the upper ends of skill sets, mm -hmm. um, and we've got a lot of you know there's a lot of people that just don't you know will need to be retrained. Um, and uh, need to learn new new skills and new businesses entirely uh, to catch up. But that's happened before, and we've got a mixed track record on uh, on doing that. Certainly in this country, I think there's a lot we can do better. Right. Um, but at, at the end of the day, it's just kind of like um, invest in job training programs. <laughs> um, yeah. No, it's yeah. tough because you know Larry just finished learning basic Java programming when he lost his welding job. And now they say, well, that's all gone. The machine's taking that over too. So it's a, it's a hard thing to chase 
Yeah. And it's a bigger question than this, certainly than the scope of this conversation or, or my ability to, to broach it. But, but, you know, as an yeah. observer, you do see these things happen, but yet it's, uh, it's great to get your insights on this, Eric, because it's, uh, it's something that's happening now. And I think will affect anybody listening to this, to this podcast. So uh, really appreciate you stopping by and sharing your insights. And I think some of the very practical things that you're doing with machine metrics, that's still very exciting when I hear about what you do. So thank you for stopping by business growth on purpose. We really appreciate it. Um, And if somebody wanted to learn more about you and your business, where should they go? They can check us out at machinemetrics.com. They'll find everything they need there. And uh, thank you very much for having me. It's always great talking with you. Same here, Eric. Take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose.